0: To up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Be sure to stay tuned at the end of the show to hear how you can access the full interview and get related links. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank
1: you, Tim. Like Tim said, I'm Carrie McCoy and it's time for me to get up in your business. For the next hour, my guest attorney Gary Green and I will be getting up in the business of being a successful attorney and entrepreneur. Gary practiced law for 13 years before deciding in 1991 to open his own law firm, the Law Offices of Gary Green. We hope through our storytelling of how we maneuvered the path of entrepreneurship in pursuit of our dreams that you will learn something, want to get involved, or be inspired to take action in your own life. And we'll be answering questions via phone and email, a little bit of free lawyer advice. For me, it began over 40 years ago when I founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, Arkansas Flag and Banner has grown and morphed from door-to-door sales to telemarketing to mail-order and catalog sales, and now relies heavily on the internet. Each change in sales strategy required a change in company thinking and procedures. My confidence, leadership knowledge, and my company grew. My initial $400 investment Now produces nearly 4 million in annual sales. Each week on this show, you'll hear candid conversations between me and my guests about real world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that I hope you'll find interesting. Starting and running a business or organization is like so many things, it takes persistence, perseverance, and patience. I worked part-time jobs for nine years before Arkansas Flag and Banner grew enough to support just me. It's now grown so much that to operate efficiently, we require 10 departments and 25 people to maintain them, thus reminding us all again that small businesses are not only the fuel of our economic engine, but also impact and empower people's lives. Before we start, I want to introduce you to the people at the table. We have my technician, Tim, who'll be running the board and taking your calls say hello Tim hello Tim my guest today is attorney Gary Green founder of the law offices of Gary Green I love that title Green is admitted to practice law for the Arkansas state and federal courts the Texas Missouri and Oklahoma state courts the eighth circus Court of Appeals the United States Court of federal claims and the United States Supreme Court Green is a graduate of Hendricks College in Conway, Arkansas, and in 1978, he received his law degree from the University of Arkansas at Little Rock School of Law. It wasn't until 1991 that he established the law offices of Gary Green. Green's area of practice include personal injury, medical negligence, medical malpractice, nursing home negligence, traumatic brain injury, truck wrecks, product liability, wrongful death, and fire. His professional memberships include the American Association of Justice, Arkansas Trial Lawyers Association, Pulaski County Bar Association, Arkansas Bar Association, and past president of Southern Trial Lawyers Association. Gary is a husband, father, farmer, fisherman, land developer, and an author of children's books. It is an <laughs> honor to welcome to the table the smart, successful, competent, and forthright Attorney, Counselor Gary Green.
2: Thank you, Gary. Glad to be here.
1: Thank you. I was. Uh, we need to tell everybody that I've known you for a long time okay. because they don't realize this, but when I started Arkansas Flag and Banner in 1975, I was living in Little Rock and I moved into an apartment in 1976 and I lived in the basement apartment and you lived right above me.
2: And it was a grand time.
1: It, well it was a grand place and uh for people that are in little rock that are our age island x was across the street on cavanaugh
2: island x and gumbo Yaya. Ya. see i forgot which about came that first island x okay
1: by far All right. and i remember this about you i would come up there and say gary we're going out because we were 20 21 we we're 21 22 and we i'd say gary we're going out come go out with this and you'd be sitting i can still see you sitting at your desk holding your head in your hands and saying, no, I've got to stay in and study. And I thought, oh, Lord, I don't ever want to be a lawyer. That sounds awful.
2: That must have been first year. Did it get better? Oh, yeah. You stopped studying after the first year. Oh. <laughs>
1: Hear that, lawyer? You can make it through the first year, students. You'll be good to go. I haven't seen you in 10 years, though. It's People, been a long time. A long time. Yeah. And when I got to do this research on you, I found out that you're a farmer and a an author of children's books. I was just kind of shocked. So we're going to talk about all of that. But first... You graduated from law school in 1978, but you didn't start the law offices of Gary Green until 1991, so that's like 13 years, 12 or 13 years. What were you doing?
2: I was working with other lawyers. I have been privileged to uh, have practiced with many lawyers in the county. Uh, Miles Hale, uh, one of my mentors, John Ward, uh, mentioned as one of my mentors. the Morley's, I, I worked in North Little Rock, and my first years in practice were pretty much uh, the opposite, opposite of what I do now. I was doing more real estate work, more business work, more defense work. And since 1991, and really a little bit before, I've done nothing but plaintiff work and in personal injury and contingency fee cases.
1: What's the difference between those two? One goes to court, and one goes to trial, and one doesn't?
2: Well, representing the plaintiff is generally representing a consumer. You're representing people. When you're representing the defendant, you're normally representing an insurance company. And it's just a totally different world and a totally different practice, and I very much prefer representing people uh, in their individual cases
1: you when I was on your website you coined the phrase uh, people's
2: a people's practice a people's practice yes yes. Uh, that I really stole it from Miles Hale that's what he referred to our practice when we were together in North Little Rock and uh, I I was very fortunate back in the Clinton years when Clinton was governor he appointed one of my partners to a judgeship he appointed John Ward to become a circuit judge and up until that time, John had done all of the personal injury in our firm. And I had done, like I said, real estate business work. And John came to me and said, I want you to be the one to handle these cases. And and to this day, I don't know if he was doing it because he was doing me a favor uh, or if he was doing it because he wanted me to finish what he had started. So
1: you mean you were in the back office reading all that legal jargon that drives everybody crazy that we have to hire you to do for us and he came in and changed your job description?
2: He came in and put 50 cases in my lap.
1: Was he retiring?
2: No, he was going to the bench. He was going to become a circuit judge. And when you practice, when you're a circuit judge, you can't continue your practice.
1: So you're sitting in this office thinking that you're going to do this forever, just be pushing papers around. and writing for other lawyers to take to court
2: yes or real estate transactions or business transactions or boring stuff like that
1: you didn't go to court
2: back then not so much
1: uh and then he comes in and dumps 50 cases on your desk and says here you go these are yours what did you
2: think uh i was i was very pleased and proud that he thought of me to do it Uh, there were other lawyers there he could have called upon uh, I was happy to do it. I th- really, quite frankly, thought I was too good to be a personal injury lawyer. I was kind of uppity, and I was a business lawyer. Uh, and I took them on uh, as a duty, and by the time I finished, I was in love with it.
1: Wow. So when did you decide to leave that law firm and start your own, the law offices of Gary Green?
2: Oh, that that uh, with John was in the, I can't remember the exact year, it was in the 80s. Uh, In 91 is when I left the lawyers who were still there. At one time, we had probably 21, 22 partners. And it was one of those moments when we all decided, and it was together, and we knew that we'd built something that was bigger than we wanted to mess with. And we let attrition take its toll. And we went from 21 to 20 and 19 to 18, and it finally dwindled down to four or five lawyers left. And that's when I took my leave. We were down to a very, very small firm.
1: Well, why did you want it to get smaller?
2: Uh, I don't like meetings. And with the larger firms, there were lots of meetings. Uh, we had to.
1: But when it got small, you didn't like it again?
2: Oh, uh, when it got small, no, I do like it small. I, I do like it small.
1: But you decided to leave when it got down to, I'm confused. There,
2: there were three or four lawyers, three or four partners uh, when I left.
1: Why did you leave? Was there something that happened that you said, this isn't? No, is, this no.
2: Is. no. Uh, at the time that I left, it was Milas Hale who was still there, uh, Butch Hale who was still there, and Virgil Young and myself. And we still are very dear friends. Uh, I've referred tax business to Virgil within the last week. He refers personal injury cases to me. Uh, but we, were, we had such different practices that it just made sense. Oh, I see. And then there's the geography of the river. I, I hate to admit that I've been one who's has bought into the North Little Rock in the river, but I moved to Little Rock and at the time my practice was in North Little Rock and I just didn't want to make that drive back and forth.
1: At least you were going in the right direction.
2: Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. You're
1: going against the traffic instead yeah. of with the traffic. Yeah. You're going from Little Rock to North Rock, which is the opposite of the way most people are going, so but, but it, anyway, I understand what yeah, you're saying. I a a did the same ago. thing.
2: You grew up in North Rock, and you, you know that they're both beautiful cities, but you don't want to necessarily do that traverse of the river twice a day.
1: Yeah, so now you're back working for a big firm again,
2: though. No, no. How uh, many lawyers you Once have? again, we've downsized. Uh, the, the attorneys are just myself and my daughter, Casey. And then we have about 10 support staff. There's usually around a dozen of us in the office.
1: That's all the attorneys you have in that big Gary Green building over there on Cantrell Road?
2: Which is for sale and for lease. And then let me rent you some space.
1: I saw that on your website. It says space for rent. I thought, yeah. what is he doing? Now yeah. he's getting into the rental
2: business. We are downsizing. That, that building, um, looking back, when you're when you're looking for the perfect spot at the time, I needed a building that was probably a little less than half that size. But as you might recall from buying an old building, uh, I found one that was priced right that was more than twice what I needed.
1: So and in a great location. It is a
2: great location and I made it work.
1: It's like a billboard for your business right there. It is. Indeed. What's So you, your daughter came to work for you in 2012. How I, is that?
2: It's great. I love it. Uh, I hope that she does. I think that she does, but I, I, absolutely love it.
1: She a personal injury lawyer.
2: Indeed, that's that's 99% of what we do.
1: So you have four kids. Did you talk her into being an attorney with you, or did she just have the calling?
2: Uh, it took some, it took some talking, and it was eventually her decision, of course. Uh, but I probably, if I made a mistake anywhere, I leaned on her too hard. She went to seminary first. I decided that was not her cup of tea, and then came back and decided to go to law school.
1: She is smart.
2: Yes, she is very smart. Seminary school is tough. Yeah.
1: In law school, everybody knows it's tough.
2: I went out to visit with her one time, and she invited me to go to one of her classes. And we were I was sitting in the back of the room, and they were arguing over how many angels could fit on the tip of a pinhead, and I, <laughs> I knew then she wasn't going to finish that program. <laughs> I saw her eyes roll. <laughs>
1: So, um, I guess this is a great t- place to take a break. When we come back, we'll get advice from Gary on what makes a good case and what doesn't. We will also have him educate us on what I believe is an upcoming ballot issue. Do we have upcoming ballot issues?
2: We do have upcoming ballot that are
1: important issues. that we yes. all need to know about yes. before we go into the ballot box. I think. And is one of them tort reform?
2: One is tort reform.
1: Okay, yes. we're going to talk about that. And you're going to don't embarrass me because I don't know legal jargon. You're going to have to talk, dumb it down for me.
2: Uh, not, Can you do that? I, I don't need to, but I'll make it simple for, oh, thanks. for me.
1: And if you've missed any part of this show, a podcast will be made available next week on FlagAndBanner.com's website, YouTube, Blog Talk, and iTunes.
0: You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. We'll be right back. sick, he doesn't
1: have a will. When he dies, you want to get more than Uncle Sam will. Your HOA doesn't want to fix your roof. Your condo is flooded and there's still a loop. Your contractor failed to fix a leak. Now your house has mold and it's making you weak. You need a lawyer, lawyer. Yes, you do. You need a lawyer. A damn good one, too. You need a lawyer, lawyer. Yes, you do. You You need need a lawyer, lawyer. Yes, you do. (laughs) That's a great song. I think Madison found that song. Good shout out to Madison. That's a great song. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. My guest today is Little Rock, Arkansas attorney Gary Green, founder of the law offices of Gary Green. All right, Gary, you have the best website. I've been on it all morning. And this is what I found that you say. I am proud to have on my staff some of the best lawyers in the states of Arkansas and Tennessee, some of the best support personnel one could hope for, proud of the work we do suing drunk drivers and proud that we represent people, not insurance companies, who without our taking percentage fees probably would not be able to hire a lawyer. I am proud of our people's practice. I am. Talk about how your fee, we we just, before the break, you talked about the people's practice and how you coined that phrase. I think you said, being a lawyer, that you even got it trademarked or copyrighted?
2: Copyrighted, trademarked. I've forgotten what it's called. It's been so long since I did it. But I have the the plaque uh, behind my desk, and I can keep other people from using the same words.
1: I can't believe that. Those are just words. Yeah,
2: I know. I slipped in.
1: You know we had a patent lawyer, a copyright lawyer on here, uh, Joe Calhoun, and he educated all of us on the difference between a copyright, and a trademark, and I can't even remember all the different stuff but
2: I'll go back and listen to his podcast. I know Joe he's a great guy and i'm I'm sure I can learn something
1: you can yeah. in fact, I ended up uh, I ended up uh, hiring him to uh, trademark my name flag dot com okay, let's talk about your fee because. This is really what is the epitome of your people's practice is the way your fees are.
2: The percentage fee uh, for many, many eons has been called the poor man's key to the courthouse, the contingent fee. And when you think about it, it's very true. The litigation that we do for people is extremely expensive it's extremely time-consuming if you're paying someone by the hour to do it even if it's a low hourly rate the number of hours that go in and the fees to expert witnesses and the filing fees for the courthouse and the deposition fees for the stenographers etc gets into the scores of thousands of dollars so a, a person who's who wasn't a rich person before they got knocked down to their knees can't come in and hire a silk suit lawyer unless they're able to do it with a percentage fee. And a friend of mine just uh, recently, I was talking to him about doing some business litigation and he says, what I'm looking for is a partner. He says, I'm looking for a partner uh, to take on a case that he and I are going to uh, work together and I said that's what I do every every day uh, with all of my clients and have for the last 37 years so you, you do become partners I mean you know people who want to talk about the business and the profession of, of law say first of all they shouldn't be partners with your clients you're an advisor you're a, you're someone who's trying to be independent but when you are representing somebody on a percentage fee the client is in control the client's case is the only thing that matters but really your partners you know, you're you're both working toward the same goal
1: so you would you you would i think the process would be somebody calls you and explains to your staff their their case and if it sounds like they have a case you probably have them come in and you discuss it in detail and if you feel like it's able to go to trial and you're able to win it based on the information that they gave you, that's when you take it on. Because you don't just take on anybody that comes in.
2: Well, you can't. I mean, you're, you're in business. You're in a profession. You're also in a business. I think that uh, case selection is key.
1: Case selection.
2: Yes. And you've got to take on the cases that you know you're the best lawyer for that job. And when you hear about a case that somebody else is the best lawyer for the job, then you've got to tell your client that.
1: Right, because each lawyer uh, specializes in what they do.
2: For example, we just mentioned Joe Calhoun. Right. If someone came to me and they wanted to copyright or trademark something, I would say you need to call Joe.
1: So how many cases, how of the cases you hear, what percentage of them are, you think, are, able, are viable and winnable?
2: Oh a tough question. Let me let me turn it around on you though. I I think that uh, a good way to understand uh, that we're not ambulance chasers and we're not looking for frivolous lawsuits is to look at the number of cases we do turn down and I think that if you look at medical malpractice cases uh, that's probably a better indication. Truly I will visit with a hundred people about their case before I take one case. I, I truly weed out 99% of the people who contact me because of medical malpractice or because of alleged medical malpractice.
1: People love to have a, um, a problem with a doctor or poor outcome with a dentist or a doctor, and your friends will say, you need to sue them. But it's not that easy.
2: It's, it's very difficult.
1: It's very difficult.
2: It's usually not malpractice. You know, we've got to start with uh, our our hats off to the doctors. Uh, Most of them are very smart. Uh, They're very well educated. They're very resourceful. Uh, And they probably didn't make the mistake that the client feels that they might have made. So there's a lot of trying to find out what happened.
1: And, you, and it can't just be a mistake. Doesn't it have to sh- show negligence or malicious intent or something like that? It can't just be, oh, I accidentally did this. That's not really a lawsuit, is it?
2: it well, negligence and, and accident uh, can be t- toward the same thing. You, oh. in, a, in, a, in a negligence case, you've got to have somebody who was negligent, that they did didn't do something they should have done or they did something they shouldn't have done, and that negligence caused injury that wouldn't have happened but for the negligence. You've got to tie it together.
1: And you have to be able to set up, you have to be able to say this is negligent because this is standard practice and you didn't follow standard practice.
2: Yes, and it caused Permanent injury. It caused serious permanent injury.
1: If you go look at most of doctors' records, and if you think that you know something's wrong with you, and you ask them to send you your records, and you look at them, they never put blame on anybody or any other doctor. Let's say you have a bad, uh, you have something bad happen with one doctor, and you go to another doctor to get treatment for it, and that doctor says, "Well, the other doctor shouldn't have done this," but they never put that in the notes. They just are very. Uh, They're just very literal about, you know, whatever it was and what the problem was. But they never express any kind of, you know what I'm trying to say?
2: Uh, You're talking about the conspiracy of silence. Oh, is that a real thing? I think it's course 101 in med school.
1: Oh, really? Uh,
2: Yeah. No, uh, uh, they don't. But here's, here's the trick to that. It's kind of like the Constitution. In our Constitution, we've got checks and balances, and we've got the legislative branch, and we've got the judicial branch, and we've got all the we've got the press. Uh, we've got ways to keep up with what's going on, and you do the same in a medical malpractice case. Because if you get a a one set of records from one doctor, you're right. It's not going to lay blame somewhere else. But then you get the other doctor's records and then you get the nurse's notes, and then you'll get the discharge summary, and then you get every piece of information that's ever been generated about that patient, and you'll start to find from the testing that was done and from the comments that were made and from the other entries that were made, you'll be able to find out what happened.
1: And if your problem doesn't come up for, let's say, a year, And then you go, oh, you know, now I've got a problem like that mesh stuff that everybody's having problems with. What's that called?
2: Surgical mesh or hernia mesh.
1: Yeah, that you see on TV all the time. Most stuff, if it comes up in a year with something that's a surgery or something you had done, you only have two years. That's right. To go to court, no matter what.
2: We can find exceptions sometimes, but to be safe, you've got to think two years for a medical malpractice case.
1: So if you're sitting around thinking about this, listeners out there, and you're thinking, should I or shouldn't I, should I or shouldn't I, you've only got two years to make a decision, and the lawyer needs how long to prepare a case?
2: We won't accept a case that's within 120 days of the statute of limitations.
1: What is that?
2: Four months. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, and and, and um, think about it. We've got to go and get the records, and it takes it takes a long time to get records. And then we're not doctors. We don't know the medicine. We've got to then hire experts to read those records, and to get that done within four months is is pushing it. Pushing it very much.
1: Your other specialty is drunk drivers.
2: Yeah, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. But yes, it's a specialty.
1: What do you mean? <laughs> it's just so easy because yes, they cause yes. they tra- test at the job at the because when they are drunk they give them a, a breath test and it's right there that they were that the driver was drunk.
2: You know when you're a when you're a plaintiff's lawyer like I am, you want to make the jury mad or you want to make them cry, and you go in with a drunk driver defendant, and they're mad, and. Uh, you better get out of the way because the verdict is going to be a bigger verdict. Really? Yes. Even though uh, we're not supposed to, when we're in court, talk about the golden rule, we're, we're not to tell the jury that put themselves in the shoes of the plaintiff, they can't help it in a drunk driver case.
1: You can't say that in court?
2: You can't say anything that suggests to the jury that they should put themselves in the shoes of the plaintiff.
1: I didn't know that.
2: It's considered such a strong argument that it's not fair. Wow. Yes.
1: Uh, Medical negligence, medical malpractice, what's the difference?
2: Nothing. Uh, Medical negligence uh, probably sounds uh, easier. Medical malpractice, to me, has a, a feeling of, intent or uh, a bad feeling about it mm-hmm. and when you're when you're trying a medical negligence case really all you're trying to do is show that the the doctor ran a stop sign uh, didn't intend to run the stop sign right uh, but ran a stop sign and caused damages
1: mm-hmm. uh, i bet this one's easy nursing home negligence
2: uh, they are easy there it's a it's a uh, it's a different type of case, and the the cases are usually made uh, not so much based upon the negligence that was done at the time, but upon the staffing.
1: It's and, always the staffing.
2: yes, and and they don't hire enough people.
1: Why do they not do that?
2: It's money. Uh, they don't want to spend the money.
1: That's the problem that my mother at my mother's place, and her place when we went there six years ago was wonderful. The teachers' retirement fund owned them. And yeah. it's sold twice to two corporations, and now they're just cut back, cut back, cut back. Yes. And
2: Tough cases, and the way that you win those is you go find an ex-employee and who's no longer there mm-hmm. uh, and no longer bound to the employment agreements and no longer bound to the pressures of that, and then you talk to that ex-employee and find out their M.O. and find out what they didn't do and should have done.
1: It seems like, from a business point of view, it would be smarter for the corporations to do a good job of training and staffing than to be paying high insurance and lawyers to fight these claims all the time. You'd think. You would think that. Mm -hmm. I mean, from a business point of view, I would think that. Uh, Traumatic brain injury, truck wrecks, same things?
2: Same thing. Traumatic brain injury, to me, is a very, very interesting area of the practice, and I've kind of made it a specialty uh and and the the reason I find it so interesting is because there are things like denial that go with a traumatic brain injury like in alcoholism, but a traumatically injured person usually is in denial that he or she is injured really yes and and you therefore you've got to go to the next layer you've got to go to the spouse or to the parent or to someone who knows and lives with the traumatically brain injured person to find out what the deal is because if you ask a traumatically brain injured person are you okay today the answer is yes
1: so they're not the ones that ever call you it's their spouse that calls you and says something's wrong with my my wife or husband or son would you help me Mm -hmm. and then how do you ever get if they're not uh if they're so that is that does seem very hard because if they're not if they're in denial how do you ever get them to tell you their story or be involved
2: well, I I get their trust by asking them to do a couple of things. For example, I might uh, ask them to look behind themselves and check the rearview mirror uh, to pretend they're driving and, and look behind themselves. And, and if they and then when they turn back around, I might say, "Did you get a little dizzy?" And and they'll they'll have felt that and they'll they'll it'll start to dawn upon them that something might have happened. Uh, another Good technique is to say, "Tell me the last thing that you remember before the wreck," and they'll tell you. You know, I remember the truck coming at me. And then your next question is, "Okay, tell me what your first memory was after the wreck," and they'll say, "Well, I was at the hospital." And then it starts to dawn on them that they did have a loss of consciousness, which is, for, for many neuropsychologists. Uh, the definition of brain injury if there is a significant loss of consciousness there probably has been a brain injury but you get the client to realize that by Recreating with them their memories.
1: Oh, I think you've got a caller. Let's see if this is a real call You're listening to up in your business with Carrie McCoy and Gary Green. Have you got a question for me or my caller?
2: Well, I have a correction okay. uh, Gary mentioned that TBI patients were very often in denial and that's really not the case because it's called deficit awareness. Okay. So a, a person with a TBI very often is not cognitively aware of their problems, so
0: they're not denying anything. Does
2: that I, uh, make sense? It, it does make sense. Uh, well taken. Well, and I, and I think that's why a good neuropsychological and a functional evaluation is is what's needed to. Really assist the individual in regaining some of their functional functionality. I agree on the neuropsychologist. Okay, that's
1: I, all I, I have. I certainly do. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Thanks for your feedback. Uh, product liability. What does that mean? Your baby, your baby swallows a, a button off the off the stuffy off the stuffed toy.
2: Yes, it's any dangerous product uh, put into the chain of commerce, uh, chain of commerce, and uh, Causes harm. We mentioned a moment ago. We were talking about statutes and limitations for medical malpractice cases, and yeah. we talked about the the mesh injuries. Uh, I would I would posit that a mesh injury is a product liability case, and therefore subject to the five-year deadline, rather than the two.
1: Oh, all right, good to know. Which one's your favorite thing to talk about? Which one of these are not to talk about? Which one of these is your favorite case to try? The drunk driver you said is like shooting.
2: Well, there's 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 one type that's even easier, oh and that's legal malpractice.
1: Legal malpractice. Yes. Your your job.
2: Yes, to sue another lawyer for dropping the ball on case. Uh, I I tried one in July of this year. Uh, the the offer that was made to us prior to the trial was three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And the jury came back with a $2 million verdict.
1: Really? Do you ask for a certain amount of money and then they can up it?
2: Well, you can. Uh, there's discretion there. And my argument to the jury in closing was that this lady I represented had lost a kidney. And therefore, we had the issue of permanence, and we had the issue of the anxiety that it caused her. So my, my suggestion to them was that each of those elements was worth a million dollars and then the other things, the medical bills, or whatever they could consider on top. They came back very quickly with a $2 million verdict.
1: And that was because her first lawyer did not do a good job of representing her.
2: Well, he he did not finish the filing. He had the, it was a two-year deadline, medical malpractice case. He filed it on the next to the last day and then in Arkansas, you've got 120 days to serve the papers on the defendant, and he never served the papers. What? So by the time they figured out that they didn't have service of process, the statute of limitations had run, and it was impossible to do anything else except to file a legal malpractice case.
1: Against him because you couldn't do it for the medical malpractice because yes. it, it had gone over the two years. Correct. That seems like so such a such a easy mistake to have not
2: made indeed but we all make mistakes
1: that's true Um, how do you know if you've got a good case and then we're going to go to break
2: you've got to have good people you've got to represent people that you like and you've got to represent people who want to get up and go to work every morning
1: but if you're the person that's fixing to call you before they call you and waste everybody's time is there some list of list of punch list that they could go down and say i have a good case or i don't have a good case it, it,
2: it so much depends upon the type of case uh, that really i couldn't mm-hmm. I, I couldn't there's no punch uh, list make punch just call list. you yeah
1: uh, let's take a quick break when we come back we'll continue to get advice from gary we'll be taking phone calls and we'll have him educate us on the upcoming ballot issues that you need to know about before you go into the voting booth and if you miss any part of this show a podcast will be made available next week on FlagAndBanner.com's website YouTube, Blog Talk, and iTunes.
0: You're listening to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy. We'll be right back.
1: That's from Chicago. Gary's never seen that show. It's about a lawyer. You need to go watch a musical. He said, I don't watch musicals. I said, this musical is about a lawyer. You need, you'd like this one. It's old. And then he, I said, it's old. It's about 15 years old. And he said, oh, well, I may have seen it and just forgot. <laughs> Uh, you're listening to Up in Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, my guest today in Little Rock, Arkansas, attorney Gary Green, founder of the Law Offices of Gary Green. Another one of your quotes from your website, Gary, was you said, I was lucky to have family, friends, teachers who encouraged and guided me. When asked why do I continue to practice law, you said, because it's what I do best. In my mind, being a lawyer is no different and no more important than being a bricklayer or a carpenter or a mechanic. I go to them when I need their help and hope they will come to me when they need mine. That's good.
2: Definitely what I do best. Definitely don't work on your car.
1: You would work all the time if your wife didn't make you come home.
2: I would. I love to work.
1: You know, and a lot of people think of work, I just recently realized this, a lot of people think of work as work, but a lot of us think of work as being creative. That's right. It's a creative outlet, and when, you, when you're doing a type of job that you, that you feel like you're being creatively satisfied, it's not work anymore. That's correct. Tell me about your mentors. John Ward.
2: Uh, retired attorney, retired circuit judge. He's the one who put those 50 cases in my lap.
1: Yeah, he was a game changer. Yes, he was. Uh, Miles Hale. Uh,
2: the one who gave to me the inspiration for a people's practice. Uh, Miles and I, when we practiced together... Uh, there was there was no case too small. We had a lot of them, and there was no case too small.
1: That's nice, Gary Eubanks. Uh,
2: I think probably the Maverick, the Pioneer for lawyer advertising in this state, definitely and probably regionally, if not throughout the nation.
1: Did you know that you and I are both the uh, sponsors for the AETN Vietnam War documentary by Ken Burns? They
2: told me I was a sole sponsor. They
1: did not. (laughs) (laughs) I think you and I are the only two though.
2: Well I'm very very happy to be doing it. I'm glad you brought it up too. I know it starts this month and I hope that we can give them a plug as far as what nights to watch it. I think it's going to be great.
1: Yes we've got it on the Arkansas. You need to put it on your website. We've got it on Flag and Banner's website. We've got a slide with all the dates and the times and they're going to play it at turn. They were going to play it just I think they were going to run the series three times, but now I think they're going to run this series four times and play it like every Saturday for ten Saturdays in a row, but that won't be till November or December. So if you want to watch the whole thing, it starts in September. And
2: it's a ten-part series, is yeah, that right? Yeah, that's right. I'll and catch them all eventually.
1: Record it. Yeah. And so when you're up at night, you can turn it on and watch it. It's got, uh, I'm an PBS lover. I watch it all the time Uh, and I see you on there Mm -hmm. and I know you are too because I see you on there all the time you're always advertising with them and this documentary has been in the works for 10 years it's got footage that's never been seen before
2: and to me uh, it is the opportunity for this country to acknowledge the Vietnam vets in a way they were never acknowledged at the time of the Vietnam War
1: That is exactly what I said to Martin the other day when he asked me for a quote. And I said, it's time we gave them their due. You also give credit to your parents and your grandparents to follow the golden rule. What's the golden rule?
2: I was trying to teach that to Reese yesterday. And I found an older grandson, okay, uh, four years old in November. Um, But I I think I got through to him, uh, that you do to others as you would have them do unto you. And I kind of make fun of that on my webpage as far as uh, my parents and grandparents taught me the golden rule, and then my law professors told me to ignore it and Of course, we talked earlier about when you're trying a case to a jury it's improper argument to mention or imply the golden rule
1: although you can't say put your put yourself in their shoes in the plaintiff's shoes you, you... can
2: say imagine
1: imagine
2: yeah, that's oh, one there's way always
1: to... a lawyer trick yeah. to everything so the other thing I love about you when I went on your website is you have a whole Page dedicated to lawyer jokes.
2: Sometimes, Carrie, you've just got to embrace it.
1: I thought that was real. I wanted to tell a lawyer joke. And I thought, you know, that is so tacky. I did that to the poor police chief. I told that police joke, and he was like, yeah, that's not funny. And then I went on your website, and I was like, he's got a whole list of them. And you started them in 1995. Your jokes go back to 1995. Yes. You launched your website in
2: 1995? 95 or 96. We Me too. We, we get a lot of... Uh, of people sending us jokes, they'll apparently when you look up lawyer jokes on Google, uh, our web page pops up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's one way to get SEO, um, search engine optimization. For you people out there that don't know what SEO means, but uh, I hear there are changes coming to our courts. You need to educate us. What's coming down the pike?
2: Senate Joint Resolution 8 is on the ballot uh, for November. It is a tort reform measure. And it's been done very craftily on a couple of fronts, and they're gonna fool people. They've already fooled people. And if you've been uh, approached at the grocery store to please sign this petition, they will say all it does is limit or cap lawyer fees. And that's true, it does limit and cap lawyer fees, but more importantly, it places a value on life and it caps a value on life $500,000, $500,000, which sounds like a lot of money, maybe, uh, until we follow the golden rule and put ourselves in the shoes of the person who's lost their life or lost a limb or lost quality. their ability to have quality of life. So uh, they they painted the picture on the back, they painted the target on the backs of the attorneys to get people to think, because like I told you, the easiest case to try is a legal malpractice case. Nobody likes lawyers. I guess they all like their lawyer, but in general, the, the group is not well respected. And they think that if they can gig the lawyers on reducing the fee, then the populace who's voting this in won't notice that they've just capped the value of their life in case they need their day in court.
1: So, what's the name of this?
2: I think it's known as Senate Joint Resolution 8.
1: Senate Joint Resolution 8 is going to be in the ballot in what month? November. Of this year? Yes. And it's being touted as putting a cap on a lawyer fees?
2: Yes, only. That's the only thing they mention uh, But it also times.
1: puts a cap on what the plaintiff can receive.
2: Yes, very, very much so.
1: And you're saying it can only be five hundred thousand dollars? So if you so that two million dollar case for that lady who lost a kidney, she could only have gotten five hundred thousand? Correct. For all is it malpractice only?
2: It's all cases.
1: For all cases. Yes. For truck drivers, when you lose your life, for yes. every one of those personal injury topics that we talked about. Yes. The maximum you could ever get is five hundred thousand dollars.
2: Yes. There are I assume that there are ways to prove damages in excess of the $500,000 if, for example, there's a lost wage claim. The $500,000 does limit itself to the what I'll call for the purposes of this conversation pain and suffering and the, the uh, general damages that are proven at trial, specific damages or your damages for lost income or the amount of your medical bills or whatever. So I think that your verdicts can be $500,000 plus whatever your specials are.
1: So you can, piggy- you, can, you can piggyback on that.
2: You can piggyback to some extent. But on the lady that we just talked about, uh, they probably wouldn't have exceeded a $500,000 verdict.
1: Is she able to work?
2: She is working, and that's one reason that the jury liked her. Uh, we put on testimony that when she goes to work, it, it is a chore and that uh, when she climbs to the top of the stairs, she sometimes doesn't have her breath when she gets there, but she goes to work because she loves it.
1: So that's coming out in November. We all need to go and vote. Or did they trick us in the way they did it, like vote for or vote against? you know how sometimes they do the wording and you think you're voting against it, but you're really voting for it?
2: It, you know, you're you're voting to change our constitution, so it would be a vote against amending the constitution.
1: And it's going to be called Senate
2: Joint Resolution Eight.
1: That's really good. Is that the tort reform?
2: That is the tort reform.
1: Is that the, is there anything else we need to know about?
2: That those are the main things: uh, the limit on the value of life and and uh, general damages and the attorney's fee cap.
1: All right. This is our last break. Uh, and when we come back, Gary's going to tell us about his other passions besides working. Can you believe that? And if you miss any part of this show, a podcast will be made available next week on Flag and website, YouTube, Blog Talk, and iTunes.
0: You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. We'll be right back.
1: So, this is trivia. Does anybody know what song that is? Do you you know, Gary, what song?
2: I recognize it, but I couldn't tell you. It's
1: L.A. Law. Do you watch watch lawyer shows?
2: You know, I used to watch L.A. Law. I remember going into a courtroom one day, and the judge had seen the program the night before, and interestingly, our facts were the very same. And she kind of looked at me and said, Did you see that show last night? (laughs) Uh, And luckily for me, I was on the side of the good guy and, and the... And the show he won and we won too
1: what a good little tidbit we picked the right music for that you're listening to up in your business with me carrie mccoy my guest today is the forthright gary green founder of the law offices of gary green in little rock arkansas i'm going to tell you how to get in touch with him and his daughter and they can help you if you think you've got a case and we'll do that in five minutes at the end of the show in addition to practicing law, you have a subdivision, a pecan grove, a vineyard, and this is my favorite. You've written two books for your grandchildren. Say the name of that one.
2: Grandpère Bear. That's the first one I wrote.
1: That's for what age?
2: It's really for a second grader through a fifth grader.
1: And Grand Père means grandfather?
2: Grandfather in French.
1: So I'm taking these books. I'm nabbing them from him. And then what's this one?
2: An American Bear in Paris.
1: This is for?
2: Probably uh, junior high, high school, maybe young adult. It's 100 pages long, uh, and I, I think that almost any age group would appreciate it.
1: You know, I'm going to have you sign them. I'm going to have you do this one to my granddaughter, Evelyn, and I'm going to have you do this one to my grandson, Marshall.
2: I'll be happy to. Because that's
1: exactly their age groups. And then you handed me another one that you signed for me that's still in, it's still printed out on paper.
2: It publishes next month.
1: And it's called?
2: A Day with Grand Pair.
1: You are so cute. I cannot believe that you are. You do that. You find time to do all of that. Now, you've got a vineyard. I do. It's muscadine.
2: Yes. Where? Petty Jean Mountain. Uh, started off grapes and muscadines, and uh, indeed, this week, I'm pulling out the last of the grapevines.
1: Do you make any money at that?
2: Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I... Uh, you ever talk to a duck hunter who says, well, that duck cost me $1,000? Yeah. My wine, if I were selling it, would be at least $1,000 a bottle.
1: <laughs> you don't even look like you drink wine.
2: Oh, I love wine. You do? And if you want a pecan pie, those are probably $1,000 pecan pies, too. Yeah, you
1: have a pecan grove. Is it no. on the same vineyard?
2: No, different property. It's on the Little Red River, Proper, well. a property that I acquired to go trout fishing. And then, you know, I'm a workaholic, so I had to have some pecan trees, too.
1: So when you go up there, you can't just relax. you got to do work on pecan trees. Yeah. Who takes care of that property? That's what I always wonder about people that have these. I, I
2: have neighbors who help me as far as mowing grass, that kind of stuff.
1: So pecan trees don't need a lot of taking care you know, of, I guess.
2: No, they, they do. Uh, more, they, more than I thought.
1: Aren't they kind of uh,
2: delicate?
1: Yeah, they're kind of delicate, yeah. aren't they? They won't produce pecans if you don't. Yeah. Is it true that if you don't pick up your pecans the year before that they won't produce in the next year?
2: No, I don't think that that's true. They do tell you to rake up everything to, to cut down on the disease for the tree, et cetera. So I guess it could be true to the extent that if you allow the disease to develop, it would affect. But no, I think that we just have some good years and some bad years as a general rule. How
1: many acres is it?
2: 50 acres uh, on the pecans.
1: And then how about the vineyard?
2: Uh, it's probably on a two-acre spot.
1: So it's not too big. No. And then, it, it, and then your trout fishing, it's really just for trout fishing. That's really why you bought it, like yes. you said. Yes. So you're not trying to make any money at that at all.
2: Oh, no, absolutely not.
1: So how do people get in touch with you?
2: Uh, I think it would be hard not to be able to find me if, if, uh, if the amount of money I spend for advertising is any indication. But we're on the web, ggreen.com. Uh, you know,
1: it's amazing because I've know you, and you are a soft-spoken. I would probably categorize you as an introvert, but you go to trial. Yes. You try them yourself.
2: Yes. Uh, I am an introvert. I, I very much appreciate my time alone. I appreciate the time that I spend uh, working on the pecan trees or working on the grapes or whatever. But uh, to me, being a lawyer is, is my job. It's my profession, and Even though I'm nervous when I start talking and to the jury, every time, every time, every time, I power through it. Yeah,
1: that is so encouraging for our listeners. You just have to. Everybody's nervous. Sometimes people think, "Oh, you've just got all the answers and everything's just so natural and easy for." All of us put our pants on one leg at a time, and we all have to fight our demons to be successful.
2: Absolutely, you got to take the first step.
1: How do how do you take that first step? How did you ever decide I'm going to do this?
2: You got to read the book.
1: Oh, the Grand Pierre uh, Bear? Yes. Oh, isn't that good?
2: But, but you it, imagine it, and you tell people you're going to do it, then you do it.
1: Where do you get these books?
2: Uh, Amazon? I, yes, you can get them on Amazon. Uh, and that's the best place to get them, really.
1: Did you have to publish a bunch of them, print a bunch of them
2: up? No, you don't have to this day and time. You can literally print a book, a book. A book. I, I When I did this, I got 100 copies.
1: These are hardbacks. Uh-huh. You print a hundred. You print. You can literally print a hardback. Yes, that's really good to know. So, uh, any last words of advice? Go to vote this November.
2: Go to vote this November. Uh, follow the rule of three. That's probably the best advice I've got to give to anybody. What's that mean? Uh, a persuasion technique that makes it easier to remember things and to say things and to have things recalled in the future to simplify your life
1: say that again the persuasion of three what does that mean the
2: rule of three it's in the book too oh i gotta go
1: home i gotta read this before i give it to the grandkids all right what's the rule of three
2: the rule of three is that it it, it's easier to remember sequences of three rather than one or two or four or five And, and churchill is probably one of the best examples uh, when you think of Churchill and you think of his great speeches, you think of, we'll fight him on the streets, we'll fight them in the skies, we'll fight him on the beaches. Uh, it's going to take our toil, our sweat, and our tears. And it, it, when he said that, it was, it's going to take our toil, blood, sweat, toil, and tears. And history has shortened it to three. We can remember things in terms of three more easily than anything else so beginning middle end uh, if you want to think about ways to remember things group them into three you can have a 39-point trial or speech memorized if you take it in terms of three and then each of those points has three points that you're going to make and each of those points has three points you're going to make Uh, it's just the best thing that I've run across as far as Uh, being successful and getting things down to simple terms.
1: The rule of three. The rule of three. That is some of the best advice I've ever been given. Wow. It is, Gary, I've loved visiting with you. I haven't seen you in so long. It's been a real joy congratulations on your success thank
2: you thank you for inviting me
1: you're welcome i have a gift for you where all do you practice law
2: really right now i would call myself all over the country but most of my cases are in arkansas
1: well i gave you arkansas according to your website i gave you arkansas this is a oh for our listeners i'm giving gary a desk set for him to take to his office it's got the u.s flag the arkansas flag texas missouri Oklahoma and Tennessee because your website says you yes, do all of those.
2: we do. Thank you. And help, I gave you some help, extra help.
1: holes in those bases in case you branch out into other states.
2: I shall. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. Who's our guest next week?
0: Next week is going to be Susie Cohen of the Local First Arkansas Business Alliance.
1: I've never met her. She's a young woman who has started like three businesses. She's a young entrepreneur and I'm going to be really interested to learn about her and to see what What she's up to now, I think she has a magazine. Her goal, I think, is to uh, align all these Arkansas businesses
0: to buy locally. Yeah, and apparently, from what I understand in the notes, we didn't reach out to her. She reached out wanting to be on the show. That's a real entrepreneur. I think that's one of the first guests we've had that they came to us Mm -hmm. instead of us reaching out to them. That may be true. And And it's on our year anniversary.
1: That's right, everybody. Next next week will be our one-year anniversary. Who knew we'd be here a year later? Me, I knew. And to my listeners, if you have a great entrepreneurial story you would like to share, I would love to hear from you. Send a brief bio, like Susie did, and your contact info to questions at upyourbusiness.org, and someone will be in touch. And finally, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with me. If you think this program has been about you, you're right, but it's also been for me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. up.
0: You've been listening to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy. To hear the full interview, go to upyourbusiness.org, where you will find links to resources discussed on today's program. Carrie's goal to help you live the American dream.